We're in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. It's a chunk. So we're going to read that, then we're going to pray, and then I'll give you our outline for, um, for this morning. Okay? So let's read Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. I'll give you a second to turn there. Mark 7, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around Jesus when they had come from Jerusalem. And they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. And then verses 3 and 4 are in parentheses. And what Mark is doing for his Gentile or non-Jewish readers is he's explaining to them what kind of he's even talking about. So he puts in parentheses, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received, traditions, in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. End of parentheses. Verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? And Jesus, (laughs) I love how he replies, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Verse 9, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God so that you can keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin, declared Corbin, that is, something given or dedicated to God or to the temple, you no longer permit that individual to to do anything for his father or mother, and thus you invalidate the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. Verse 14, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside of us, outside of man, which can defile us if it goes into us. But the things which proceed out of us are what defile man. If we have ears to hear, let us hear. Verse 17, when he left the crowd and he entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said, are you so lacking in understanding also? Did you not understand that whatever goes into man from outside cannot defile him? Because it goes into his it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and it's eliminated and thus he declared all foods clean and he was saying that which proceeds out of the man that is what defiles us for from within us out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and then he lists six things in the plural and then six things in the singular fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries deeds of wickedness and deeds of coveting as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander pride and foolishness All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Let's pray. God, so grateful for your word. Just so grateful for it. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather, wrestle with it, and have you, Lord, mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. Lord, we pray that you would have your way with us this morning, that we would increasingly trust you 
with our lives. Lord, continue to mold and shape our hearts, for that is where we are truly defiled. In your name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. So our outline for today will be on the screen. Um, The first five verses, (laughs) the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus. Well, that's okay, because in the next few verses, Jesus has a problem with the Pharisees. So that works out well. And then the heart of the matter, verses 14 through 23. So let's um, skim again verses 1 through 5 in Mark chapter 7. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they come... Um, from Jerusalem to Jesus and his disciples, and they see that they were eating bread but had not washed their hands. And so they were called impure. They were calling them impure. And then he gives the explanation in verses 3 and 4 about traditionally that's what they've done. And then in verse 5, because of that, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? So these leaders come about, um, well, they come from Jerusalem, and they're on another fault-finding mission. That's what they're there for. They're there to find fault. This is not the first time in the book of Mark where they're looking to find fault in Jesus. It's just one more step in their strategy to destroy Jesus. And on some level, my first thought was that we're all in danger of this. We're all in danger of what we just read. That if we don't allow the Lord through His Holy Word to find fault in us, we're going to be guilty like these scribes and the Pharisees of trying to find fault in Him. If we don't allow the Lord to have His way with us through the truth of His Word and find fault in us, we're going to take it upon ourselves to find fault in Him. We read about these characters in the Bible and we think, oh, for them, they're so guilty of some really crazy stuff and we're wired exactly the same. So we have to be careful. If we don't allow the Lord to find fault in us by sticking true to His Word, then we're going to be inclined to find fault in Him. This is building, okay? Look back in Mark chapter 2. Go to Mark chapter 2, verses 5, 6, and 7. This is not the first fight that the Pharisees and the scribes are picking with Jesus. This goes back to chapter 2. Look at verse 5, 6, and 7. He sees the faith of a paralytic and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes, this is the first occurrence we see, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. And that's where it starts. They start to think on their own. Be careful of that. That'll get you in trouble, right? We start thinking on our own, away from the Lord. And they say, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So it starts there, where they just start to reason in their hearts. And then look a couple verses later in 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus calls Levi, or Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him in verse 14. And in 15, it happened that he, Jesus, was was reclining at the table in in the house, and many tax gatherers and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples there were many of them, and they were following him. In verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax gatherers, and they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with them? So at first it's just a thought, and then now they're asking questions. Why is he doing that? And then in verse 18, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came and said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and why do the disciples of the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not? So it goes from a thought 
to why is Jesus doing that to why is Jesus not doing that. It's progressing. Look in 2.24. In verse 24, chapter 2, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so now it's getting even more deep, right? Why are they doing this? Why are they not doing that? What he's doing is not lawful. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 2. They, the scribes and the Pharisees, were watching him to see if, they, if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And now they're bringing accusations against Jesus. And then look in verse 6 of chapter 3. They were conspiring, the Pharisees were, with the Herodians as to how they might destroy him. Now they want to destroy him. And so it's, it all started with a thought. It all started when they were just thinking. Right? And then in verse 22 of chapter 3, look how, look how horribly they progressed. The scribes who come down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. He casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Like they're, they're, they're just losing it. Right? They're just losing it. And all that builds up to Mark 7, verse, uh, or Mark chapter 7, when he talks about their traditions in verse 5. And oh, arguably, that's ultimately what they're protecting when it starts with, with uh, you know, the reasoning in their hearts. And then, why are you doing that, Jesus? And why are you not doing that? And what you're doing is not lawful. And then they want to accuse him. And then they want to destroy him. And then they say he's demon-possessed. And I think it's all because of their traditions. Because ultimately them, like us, we really just want to have our own way. We really just want to have our own way. That's really what they're getting at. Jesus is not allowing them to have their own way. Because left to ourselves, it's just ugly and Jesus loves us enough to let us know that. You need to hear from me because left to your own, it's ugly. But we fight that. And ultimately, that's what their problem was. They wanted to have their own way. So, the Pharisees come about a hundred miles to pick another fight with Jesus. Why? Why would such a seemingly trivial matter upset these religious leaders? Why would they feel compelled to defend this ceremonial washing of hands? Well, for one thing, <laughs> they resented it because Jesus was exposing their authority or lack thereof. He was challenging their authority. They wanted authority. They did not want God having authority. And we're like that too. We're no different. We don't like our own authority being challenged. But what did Christ himself say when God was challenging him with his calling to die on a cross? He says, yet not my will, Jesus said, but what? But your will be done. And so to follow in Christ's footsteps, we have to wrestle with it all the time. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Because God's will is perfect, and it's complete, and it's harmonious, and it's just all what we need to be uh, uh, concerned about is God's will. Think about this. This whole idea of God's authority and our own authority, right? Because their authority was being challenged. Are there multiple authorities in our world today? Are there multiple authorities other than Jesus Christ and His Word? How's that working out? Not so great, right? So apparently I'm the only one who has on my iPhone uh, Inca Binka. Anybody else have Inca Binka app on their iPhone? Okay, same as last service. I'm the only one. It's weird. It's, a, it's a, a, an app for news, right? And so it's all categorized and it's like three or four snippets or sentences 
on kind of the story so you kind of get the gist of what's going on in the world. And I look at that app every night for 10, 15 minutes just to see what's going on in the world. And it's not surprising that our world's in a little bit of chaos. When there's multiple authority, you have chaos. And so there's authorities being challenged. In addition, whenever the Jews practiced these washings, they declared that they were special. And they liked that. They declared that they were special and that other people were not as clean or not as special as them. And we're all so guilty of that. We learned it when we were young. We want to be better. We want to be ahead of somebody. We've got more going on for our lives than somebody else. Because on some level, we need to prove ourselves to the world that we're better than somebody else. And so they're guilty of that as well, trying to let the world know that they're above somebody else. This tradition had begun centuries before, to be sure, to remind the Jews that they were indeed God's elect people. That part was true. And therefore, they were on some level to keep themselves separated. But they were indeed separated for a purpose, but not for the purpose of being separate. (laughs) They were indeed separate for a purpose, but not for the purpose of being separate. Why were God's chosen people chosen to be separate? Why? To represent Him to the world, not to be separate for separateness sake, right? We're separated. We do what we do as a church so that... God can call us and use us. And so we separate ourselves from the world so that we can go into the world as best as we know how. And I get that that's tricky. But that's why they were separated. Not just for the sheer pleasure of saying, hey, we're better. And the church is guilty of this. I'm not saying us. I'm just saying the church in general. Well, we're so thankful that, you know, we're not out there. That's not a good thing. I'm thankful that we're separate. I'm I'm thankful that we're called, but we need to be out there doing what we're called to do. Why God has separated us. Amen? It's a tall order. I get it. And we've got to figure that out. And it's getting trickier and trickier in this day and age. And I get that. In my opinion, if you're going to pick a fight with the Lord, you better come better prepared than what these guys came in verse (laughs) 5. Look how flawed their question is in verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? I think they kind of just answered their own question. It's, it's, it's kind of a, what's, what's the a rhetorical question? It's like, because it's the tradition of the elders, it has nothing to do with God's law. Their accusation was not based on direct disobedience to the Old Testament law, but that the disciples did not walk according to the tradition of the elders. That's why these washings were not commanded in the law. These elders and these rabbis took the law and created a complex and burdensome system that carried into New Testament times. The simple meaning of all this Levitical stuff, the Levitical system, can be found in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. This is what it all sums up to be. Who of us may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? You and I, he, her, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Our cleanliness, our cleanness depends not only on external actions, but also on our internal, primarily on an internal relationship with God. And some of us, quite frankly, we need to progress in that area. 
we need to graduate, if you will, or take it to the next level. We're doing a lot of the things externally that are good things for us to do. If you're here on, 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 on the weekend services, that's a fantastic thing. If you're in a small group, that's a fantastic thing. If you're reading God's Word, that's fantastic. If you're praying, that's fantastic. If you've got accountability or a mentor, that's fantastic. But on some level, it's got to be penetrating the heart. It's okay, in in spiritual formation, they call it leading with the body. It's okay that we lead with our body, that we exercise disciplines, spiritual disciplines. But the intent of the disciplines is for the Lord to shape and to mold our heart. Does that make sense? And so if we're not doing that, we need to do that. We just need to do that. So some of us might just need to take that to the next level. How religious are we about our earthly bodies? How religious are we about this part, our hands, versus our heavenly bodies, our hearts? It's a difference, right? There's a huge difference. For sure, there's no harm in washing our hands. But how do you and how do I, how do we wash our hearts? It's easy to wash our hands. It's easy to do a lot of those things that are on the outside. But how do we wash our hearts? We don't wash our hearts. We're in trouble. We have to find a way to make sure that our hearts are pure before the Lord. And it's a process, to be sure. In our text for this morning, 1 through 23, the word tradition is mentioned five times. Five times in our text. And they indeed followed the tradition Uh, traditions of the elders meticulously. And these traditions were designed to regulate every aspect of Jewish life. They were as binding as God's law. And they were passed on from generation to generation. The most common of all these rituals was the cleansing of hands with water, a formal practice required before eating. And even Paul made mention of this in his own zeal for tradition before he became a Christian. Look at Galatians 1.14. Paul says it about himself, that he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries among his countrymen, being more extremely zealous for his traditions, his ancestral traditions. And the same thing was happening in uh, Uh, to the Colossians. And so Paul writes them, the perfect guy for Paul to speak to the Colossians. uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 2, uh, 8 through 10. And he says, See to it that nobody, nobody takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and over all authority. And these religious rulers are trying to place their authority above Christ. Crazy. Over time, these oral traditions that were passed on for hundreds of years, they obscured rather than illuminated the law of God. They obscured rather than illuminated the law of God. And it's such a great question for us today to ask ourselves what might be obscuring the Word of God in your life? What is obscuring this in your life? So when I say Word of God, you know I always mean this, the Bible. What's obscuring the Word of God in our life? And that's what was happening. These traditions were obscuring this. Not good. Anything and everything that illuminates this, you're good. But if it obscures this, that's a problem. 
And I think it's a good question for us to ask. What are the things in our lives that are obscuring the Word of God from getting in? What are the things that we're doing that illuminate it? Prayer will illuminate the Word of God for sure. Fellowship will illuminate the Word of God. Being in a small group helps us understand and illuminate the Word of God. Worshiping should help us illuminate the Word of God. Are we, what are we doing to illuminate the Word of God in our lives? And what are we doing that obscures the Word of God in our lives? History reveals that the Jewish religious leaders came to honor their traditions far above the Word of God. One rabbi says this, check it out. He says, He who expounds the Scriptures in opposition to tradition has no share in the world to come. Pretty crazy. The Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish tradition, traditions, records this. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. And it all starts with that thought. And then we question. If we don't allow the Lord's authority, right, to find fault in us, we're going to find fault in it. And we're going to put other things above it. That's how powerful God's Word is in our lives. So, that was the Pharisees' problem with Jesus. Now we're on Jesus' problem with the Pharisees. Mark 7, verses 6 through 13. We'll plow through those real quick. So Jesus replies to their question, and he calls them hypocrites, and he references Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, because they teach as doctrine. They teach as God's word, man's word. Ugly. And they neglect God's commands. And they hold to the tradition of men. He says, you're experts at setting aside the commandment of God so that you may keep your tradition. And then he gives this example of Moses in this thing called Korban. And he says, thus you guys, you invalidate the word of God in verse 13 by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Wow. So in reply to that question in verse 5, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Jesus doesn't even answer their question. Well, you know, we've had a busy day. Their hands weren't really that dirty. We kind of just, you know, rubbed them on our cloak. Like, he doesn't even bother explaining why they don't wash their hands. He just gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus is good that way, isn't he? So he makes no reference to the disciples' conduct. But he... (laughs) He kindly and gently refers to them as hypocrites, as Jesus likes to do. He just kind of like draws that line in the sand. I'm thankful Jesus does that. We don't have to guess where Jesus is coming from. Oh, he lets us know. So he calls them hypocrites or liars. And then he points to Isaiah. Scripture from 700 years ago is what he points to. Arguably scripture that they would know about to make his point about them being hypocrites and to also make his point that Scripture is what determines what's right and what's not right. Interesting. Jesus, he's so smart. And as a side note, I can imagine the things that we, like the scribes and Pharisees, we ask Jesus questions and like he doesn't even answer them. I think sometimes Jesus is like, I'm not even going to answer that. And then time goes by and we kind of go, yeah, I kind of get why you didn't answer that, Jesus, thanks. Right? I can imagine the things that we all bring before him that simply do not warrant a reply from the Lord. I just thought that was funny. So then he calls them hypocrites. So this whole idea of hypocrisy. And he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. I'm going to show you 29, 13, and 14. This is what 
Jesus quotes here in Mark 7. The Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, ooh, but they remove their hearts far from me, and, they, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote, which means no heart. There's no heart going on here. It's just pure memory. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. And he's saying, you're just like them 700 years ago. What's a hypocrite? What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite was literally a play actor who wore a mask. Some of us know this. Who wore a mask in a theater to portray somebody other than who they really were. That's why the mask was there. A person who professes beliefs and opinions that he or she does not actually hold in order to conceal his or her real feelings or motives. In this sense, then, Jesus is unmasking them, is what he's doing. He's taking that mask off and he's revealing them for who they really are. And then he proclaims or shows them that they're not any different than the leaders before them 700 years before, during Isaiah's time. So how do we honor and worship the Lord? Look at those verses in the red where it starts in verse 6. When he says, Isaiah prophesied rightly, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So in that first part it says, This people honors me. Are we to honor the Lord? Yes or no? Yes. In the second part in verse 7 it says that they worship Him, but they do so vainly. So it says that in the first part, we're to honor the Lord and we're to worship the Lord. Are we to honor the Lord? Yes. Are we to worship the Lord? Yes. How do we rightfully, properly, correctly honor and worship the Lord? Well, let me tell you. It's to have a heart filled with God's doctrine. That's what those verses say. Our hearts can't be filled with the precepts of men because that's vain worship. That means our hearts need to be filled with the doctrine of God that then and only then can we honor God properly and worship Him properly is if our hearts are filled with proper doctrine. That's what he's saying. If your doctrine's off, you cannot honor and worship God properly because Scripture says we must honor Him or we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so if our doctrine's off, we can't worship and honor Him unless we're doing so in truth. And so conversely, it says, in vain they worship me. And to worship in vain means to, to no avail. It accomplishes nothing. It's worthless. It's meaningless. It's to worship with lips only. It's to worship with a heart filled, if not with God's doctrine, then whose? Your own. That's what those verses say. They worship me vainly with precepts that they are calling precepts of men, things that man made up. They fill their heart with that. And so they don't honor God, and they can't worship Him properly. They worship vainly. Wow. To the degree that we believe that there is a God, and He zapped Himself right here, right now. I don't know about you, but I'd want to make sure. Before I do or say anything, I better make sure I get it right. Right? Does that make sense? Like, if you ever meet somebody that... Whatever this means, really important, right? You just want to be like, I want to choose your words carefully. If God were here, and He is, by the way, 
we would want to choose our words and our thoughts and our actions incredibly carefully so that we honor Him and worship Him for exactly who He is and how He expects us to honor and worship Him. And that's what Scripture does. Oh, we're so fortunate. Jesus takes hypocrisy pretty doggone serious. Look at Matthew 23, a few chapters to your left. Matthew 23. It's called the eight woes of the Pharisees. This whole chapter is pretty powerful, but for time's sake, we'll just kind of plow through this real quick. Starting in verse 13, he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he tells them why. Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he calls them blind guides in verse 16. In verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It's pretty serious stuff. So, back in Mark chapter 7, there's obviously some traditions that have been created. Like I said, tradition is mentioned five times in our text. And so tradition is created. That's where it innocently starts. And then in verses 3 and 4, if you look twice, in ver- one, once in verse 3 it says they observe the tradition of the elders, and then in verse 4 it says the same thing, in order to observe such as the washing of cups. And so they observe, they create the traditions, and then they start to observe them. Oh, we're just observing. And then in verse 8, it progresses to they start to neglect the commandment of God. They just kind of, it's there, but they're neglecting it. And this is what happens, right? And then in verse 9, it says they set it aside. So not only do they neglect it, now they actually push it to the side. And then it culminates in verse 13, where it says they actually invalidate the Word of God by their tradition. They actually say, this actually is not meaningful anymore. It's completely invalid. It's no longer valid. And that's the word that's used in verse 13. Thus you invalidate the Word of God. Can you imagine the arrogance and the pride and the sin of trying to invalidate the very Word of God and that's what they were guilty of. And they're leading other people down this path. scary. It's one thing to keep tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. But it's one thing to keep it and to keep God's law. But it's quite another to invalidate God's law in order to keep our traditions. We must beware of making light of God's commands because it's always the first step in making void His commands. You hear me? Be careful of making light of God's commands because it's the first step in making void His commands. How are we taking the Lord's commands lightly? How are we taking the Lord's commands lightly? For some of us, it might mean that we just need to break this open more often and get familiar with His commands to even answer that question. Make sense? In verse 9, Jesus is um, using sarcasm when He says, He was also saying to them, (laughs) He's complimenting them, You are experts. Ah, thank you. Yeah, you're experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. He's being sarcastic with them to make his point. And he says, you do many such things as that. And that's how they become experts. He says it in verse 4 and verse 13. Many things you do like this. And so when we go down that path, then we become experts at that path because we do it over and over again. It's how we become experts at something. 
in Isaiah 5, 20, 21, a good verse for this. He says, Woe to those who call evil good. Another woe, right? And good evil. They substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. They substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. That's why we see in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. We think we're so clever. We think we're so smart. And staying humble before the Lord, that's a deal, man. It's just a deal. If we want to be humble before the Lord, oh, He can help. He can help. And then He gives an example of this thing called Korban. In verse 10 where He says, you know, Moses said, and in verse 11, but you say, and then He talks about this whole thing about dedicating things to the church, if you will. Korban is a term used to refer to a gift devoted to God or devoted to the temple. And once it was pronounced or declared over money or over property that was donated uh, eventually to the temple and its service, it was an unbreakable vow. You could not break that vow. When a person died, that asset or that money was declared korban. It was officially deposited with the temple. And in their tradition... It was possible for a person to declare all their possessions as korban and thereby be exempt from actually keeping the fifth commandment of honoring your father and your mother. Does that seem right? No. Bad plan. And then, to top it all off, they emphasized that this vow of theirs, this vow of korban, of tradition, was unalterable, and then they would refer to Numbers 30 about what it means to keep a vow. So they would break Scripture and then count on Scripture for their tradition. Twisted. We do the same thing, just so you know. We're not so different. We have to be careful. Oh, the danger of using Scripture for our petty desires, right? And then lastly, as he winds down our text, we don't have time to get into this all, verses 14 to 23 where he says, it's not what comes inside our stomach, it's what comes out of our heart. And then he lists all these gnarly things in verses 21, 22, and 23. And so Jesus is giving perspective about the defilement of eating unclean foods, saying that a Jew was not defiled because of the unclean food he ate, but because his heart had broken God's commands. The heart was what the religious leaders missed in their worship of God. And I think sometimes we focus on all the outwardly stuff because we're afraid to focus on the heart. I just think that's true. We're afraid to go there. And I don't know if it's because we fear rejection from God. I don't know if it's because we fear rejection from other people. I don't know if it's because we're, we're afraid of being lonely or we're embarrassed by our stuff. But goodness, I hope that the church is a place where we can safely expose our heart, right? Because that's where God does the real work. If we can't do that here, where are we going to do that? We should be able to do that in the church. And sometimes we don't allow that. And so we play hypocrites. We put on the mask. That's not good. And so Mark gives us a glimpse of what we're capable of when he wraps this up. And I mentioned earlier, the first six sins or vices are plural nouns, and they portray acts of evil, things we actually do. And then the next six are singular nouns, and they express a condition or a thought process. Because remember when Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, he says, it was written, but I say, it has been written, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder. But I say that if you murder somebody in your heart, or if you lust for a woman, that you've committed murder and you've committed adultery. 
And so that's what this does. He's got six acts or commissions of sin and then six things that he lists that are just attitudes, if you will. Some weird stuff goes on in our hearts, man. It's just gnarly. Let me wrap it up with this and then the worship band's going to come up and close us in a song. Romans 2, 28 and 29. For you and I are not a Jew if we're one outwardly or followers of Jesus. We're not a follower of Jesus if we're followers outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But we are followers of Jesus if we are followers inwardly. The circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And His praise is not from men, but from God. Amen? Let me pray. So good to be with you guys this morning. I love this church. love that you embrace God's Word so faithfully. Pray that you have a great rest of the holiday weekend. Thanks for being here. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for ears that are eager to hear. Lord, give us the strength to trust you with how you desire to mold us and shape us into the image of your Son. Help us, Lord. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer after the service, the prayer team will be available to uh, your right and my left. Um, Good to be with you guys. Thank you so much.